0: All right, what is up, Gypsy Gang? Uh, Back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and this is one that I am super stoked on. Uh, It is with a legend by the name of Taylor Cecil, and he is a uh, performance coach. He works with athletes like Harley Clifford, Mick Fanning. Uh, His involvement with Harley uh, is actually how I first came across Taylor, but. For the last couple of years, I've been following him on Instagram, uh, we've, we've met before, hung out before, and uh, he's a guy that I've just, I say it at the start, but he is one of those guys where you just walk away from your, every interaction with him and just be like, he is actually the nicest person ever. Uh, he's definitely more into uh, overall wellness and well-being, and he has a really cool philosophy on working in as well as working out when it comes to training. Um, so yeah, it's just a, he's just a guy that I, I take a lot of inspiration from um, with how he lives his life and I hope that, um, I hope that you guys are able to take something away from this podcast as well. Uh, we definitely as well talk about uh, mentors and it's something that I probably I feel like I've got mentors in my life, but I definitely don't have the, that specific label attached to it. Um, and maybe you're the same but when you start to think about uh, getting a mentor or having mentors um, yeah it's it's definitely there's some cool psychology um, behind it and who those people are in your life um, that's also one of the things that inspires me with this podcast is essentially my job is just to try and find really really cool people uh, and try and just pick their brain for you know the the pieces of um, wisdom or the pieces of knowledge that have got them to be in that position in the first place. And there's definitely people that uh, exist out there that are in a shit situation and don't have the ability to just go and find somebody that is a great mentor and on a great path in their life. And I think that that is one of the uh, things that drives me with this podcast is maybe there are people out there that that listen to Gypsy Tales that are in that situation and hopefully these podcasts can be um, somewhat of a, a mentor, I guess, um, because of the guests that do come on here and, and share their stories. Uh, before we get into it though, just got to give a quick shout out to the boys uh, at Nobby Underwear. Um, going to the Grass is Greener Festival with those guys this weekend and I'm, I'm pumped on it, uh, doing some fun activation stuff there. You can head to nobby.com and you can sign up for just $20 a month. You can get a new pair of duds delivered to your door. Uh, men, women's, kids—they—they uh, they basically cater for everybody, uh, and just all around good people. We, uh, yeah, you guys know we love the Knobby Nation here. Uh, secondly, just got to give a quick shout out to the legends at Boost mobile. You can head to boost.com.au. They have actually been voted Australia's best prepaid service provider. Um, The proof is in the pudding when it comes to those guys. I've been with them for probably two years now. Um, They're on the full Telstra 4G network and I just think the whole plan thing is getting paid, uh, played out. Um, So yeah, if you've got the option to pay out your contract, you can get uh, a really rad phone through the guys at Boost as well, and then you can get onto uh, onto that prepaid program, and uh, your telecommunication life will become just that much better. That's it. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Gypsy Tales Podcast. We have a link to our store in that Instagram bio. You can also follow uh, slash subscribe at our YouTube channel. That would mean a lot. Uh, and yeah, just stoked being doing my best to bring you guys a lot of content we've got a lot of shows waiting in the wings ready to be released uh and yeah it's just i guess all round exciting times for myself uh, and hopefully that equals exciting times for the gypsy gang thanks for listening and enjoy this podcast with a uh, a truly great dude all right we're on taylor Cecil, we're doing it bro finally i'm yes, very excited
1: finally man it's been uh been a bit in the making but uh yeah finally get to sit down and have a nice yarn
0: yeah i'm keen so we met and you're like one of those rare people so we met through harley who you train with yep you're one of those rare people where like as soon as we left justin lane me and ricky were both like did we just meet the nicest dude alive <laughs> <laughs> so, oh and thanks man you come cool. across those people every now and again but they're quite rare so
1: yeah no thanks mate no it's um yeah you know i i think um yeah it's uh, it's something that um i practice
0: <laughs> yeah you know Are you, so you're actively like your your whole thing so you're a physical trainer but mm-hmm. i feel like your approach that you take is like a real overall look mm-hmm. of like what is a good human and yeah. not just like all the physical stuff that you do the mental stuff with the breathing mm-hmm. the ice bath stuff the nutrition stuff like You just sort of seem like you're that guy that's just very interested in like, what is the best way we can make a human run?
1: Yeah, no, exactly right. Um, Yeah, you're on the money with that. It's um, been a passion that I've developed over the years because of um, how I've seen it work on myself too, you know, like from um, that physical aspect. But then what else influences that physical aspect? Um, I was a professional triathlete Um, for quite some time and very sporty you know in my teenage years and as a youngster and um, I was able to you know put in the hard work of the physical side of it but um, started to also see the influence that things like nutrition or the way that I'm thinking or how much recovery time I get um, what I'm stressing about whatever how all of that also impacts on the physical me Um, so I was very, uh, fortunate to have a coach when I was about 16 that introduced me to this side of it and, um, kind of a, a bit into my, my journey of it was, uh, at that stage, what got me, uh, to, or led me to her was, um, that I had chronic fatigue and adrenal fatigue. Oh, really? Um, when I was about, yeah, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And, um, At that time, I was, yes, pushing really hard as a triathlete. I was trying to study super hard. I had different sorts of stresses going on um, naturally at that age, but also, you know, stresses that kind of put on myself a little bit. Mm. Um, And and the way I describe it is that all different stresses kind of funnel down into having the same effect on our body.
0: Because it's cortisol, right? Essentially, like there's a hormone that's being released when you're stressed. Yeah, yeah. So the more of that you have in the system... Literally, the more stress you put on your system, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like you—you you get to this stage where it's an—it's an overload. Yeah. And um, for me, my mind would—you know—I was kind of conditioned to just push harder and train harder, but it got to the stage where my body was like, "Fuck this!" You know, out. "You're out." Yeah. And I was in bed for six months just trying to rejuvenate. Uh, so, uh, at that stage, um. Mick, Mick Fenning, was training with a lady named Jan Carton, and um, he... What was
0: the name of that clinic that... Was that the... Czech Australia. Yeah, Czech, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard about that.
1: Yeah, which was actually just down the road from here.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: at one stage. Um, So, yeah, he put me onto her, and that's where I just... I had to learn. I had to learn about um, all these things I mentioned, you know, what food I was putting in my mouth, how I was thinking... Um, what my beliefs were around training, um, how I was training and I was obviously over And so I had to really map out all of that side of it and take a deep dive into myself and, you know, am I going to continue doing this? Am I going to beat my head against the wall and um, be stuck in bed again? Or am I going to learn about the different stresses on my body? So, mate, she had me... Practicing things like breathing and uh, relaxing, going within, eating right, and it was just such a drastic change for me. Um, and at first, I was like, "You know, why seems am I, like hokey." Yeah, why am I on the floor breathing when I should be, you know, doing some weighted pull-ups and getting strong for for my sport? Yeah, and um, you know, I had that mindset, but I still had that mindset while I was down and out. Mm. So yeah she, like you did have like be,
0: a rebuild mindset when you sort of nah. that's like what you had to have it was like okay I've got six months of like I can't do what I did before I have to do different rebuilding type activities right yeah
1: yeah exactly so I was kind of forced to, to learn about this stuff uh, and yeah that was um, the best thing that ever happened to me <laughs> basically because that's crazy hey? yeah for, for me having that that chronic fatigue was like pivotal moment and is why I'm so invested and in love with researching and practicing things on myself and applying to you know my clients and athletes, and um, yeah, just just approaching that, leaving no stone unturned. Yeah. is kind of how and I think about it. Being open to like
0: everything. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, being super open to everything, and um, yeah, so that's that's kind of what catapulted me into this uh, journey of being a coach and. Um. just yeah investing in myself really
0: the one thing that really struck me with you is that harley i've known harley since he was a 14 year old kid and he never trained ever and he didn't like training and it was almost his thing was that he was the best dude in the world without training mm-hmm. and that's like the the flag he'd almost put in the ground and people knew him as that the identity guy. Yeah, yeah and he i think he was like sort of proud of that in a way Mm. and then the thing that really made me like think you had some really crazy shit going on is the fact that he was this kid that had never trained his whole life and been notorious against training to now a guy that genuinely loves to train Mm. and it was you and i'm like what did he do like how did Mm. that happen how did you create this guy that now loves to train
1: hmm yeah um (laughs) It's, I suppose the what sent Harley to me was um, his his ACL his knee right his knee injury. He yeah came across me um, through social media and hit me up and yeah you know I didn't know Harley and we came in had a good chat I loved his vibe and um, you know he seemed just really motivated to get right and want to get stronger than before, and yeah you know he was carrying a little bit of weight uh he was um he
0: definitely was a bit of a chubber back then i can't even (laughs) picture that highly now yeah yeah
1: um but he was just really you know what started it i suppose was his investment in wanting to get his knee right yeah and the motivation behind getting back out there and wanting to you know again win another world championship so his motivation with that started it and i suppose it was on a that the journey of of him and i together was um that we could be uh that i i could be relatable with him in terms of you know what it's like to be down and out and um you know have some some compassion for where he was at in that stage and um yeah I think with that he became a lot more maybe open-minded and you know one of the things I always love to talk about with new clients is how coachable are you and that means number one what's your willingness to learn uh, number two how open-minded are you and number three who do you listen to and uh, you know i think we had that discussion early in the piece and yeah he maybe took like a a bit more of a conscious understanding of oh wow okay you know what is my willingness to learn and um yeah i think that just opened his mind a little bit to some things and yeah you know we, we were doing the right things physically and we were applying uh, what we needed to do to, to get him back, back on track from a, from a physical level, which I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit. Um, but yeah, he just grabbed it by the balls and wanted to eat right, wanted to move right, wanted to also learn how to work in um you know as i was discussing before it's like
0: instead of just work out instead of yeah, just work yeah. out that's a cool concept yeah i think uh is that something that is like one of your main philosophies would yeah, you think 100% like work in and work out yep you know
1: everyone knows how to work out yeah everyone knows how to work out but to what degree do you know how to work in because it's how you work in that i believe actually makes you a world champ or helps you move towards your potential whether it's from a business perspective or from a yeah whatever the relationship you want to have like you've got to be you've got to understand yourself you've got to understand your own energy and that requires working in
0: so. and so where did you start with that working in then um that and was do you, And do you remember what what you were like before and now in hindsight that you've got to a different place when you look back what was some of the stuff where you're like oh that was really wrong
1: yeah mate Oh. Uh, when I was talking about my chronic fatigue, you know if, if it was before that, um, I had the belief. So it really lies in in our beliefs. And for me, my belief was that working out or so training or, or working hard is the only way to make progress. But as we all sort of know, is that muscles don't rebuild when you're actually training. they break down. It's when you're recovering that muscles rebuild. And it's that same concept for your energy, too. If you want to be energized enough to be on the start line of, or, you know, when the, when the horn goes off, uh, you need a balanced energy system and a balanced energy within yourself. Um, so the, the concept of working in is something that needs to happen, you know, and... We're, we're cottoning onto that a lot more with the understanding of sleep cycles and circadian rhythms. You know, that's a form of work in. Yeah. Um, a lot more people are becoming open-minded to things like meditation or, um, you know, I practice Tai Chi for one uh, as an energy-building exercise. Um, and, you know, just, just tuning out to all of the distractions
0: we also have. Mm-hmm that's my biggest thing at the moment yeah I think that's holding me back is just distractions constant constant things like pulling me away from the stuff I'd rather be doing yeah because I I do love like the stretching I've been getting way more into reading like the only thing and I've always read but the only thing I've been buying lately is I've been on Amazon buying books every time I hear someone recommend a book that I respect and I've heard other things about that book I've Mm. been ordering it so now I've got like a stack of books piling up but I'm still not all the way disciplined to tuning out those distractions yet and like today i was watching youtube and then i was then i looked at my book and i was like like it wasn't a thing to just not you know to move away from that distraction and then go Mm. into what it is that i actually wanted to do
1: yeah yeah Now, funny funny we're kind of on this subject it was only this morning um that i seen the concept of dopamine fasting and um what that means is is that We live in a very technological age, right? Mm. And we have a lot of distractions. You know, we can pick up our phone and um, step into Instagram. But every time we do something that's kind of uh, a short burst of a short little hit, well, we're getting a hit of dopamine. Mm. And that's the chemical in the brain that makes us, you know, happy or, or spikes us. Um, We get that when we are watching social media, but we get that when we eat certain foods. We get that when we um, watch TV or Netflix or movies. Um, You know, we get that through distractions, basically. Uh, But what the the concept of dopamine fasting is that uh, you give yourself a period of time of laying off distractions. So putting away the phone for a certain period of time and maybe exchanging that for um just going for a walk on the beach you know something that doesn't require action yeah um you know eastern kind of philosophy would talk about that as just being and just practice just being
0: yeah Um, like those kind of old tao philosophies and buddhist philosophies yeah, yeah yeah
1: stuff like that um and I, I, f- I think it's so important to, you know, check in with maybe a bit of a dopamine fast here or there. Yeah. Whether that means that you, um, you know, you revolt against in yourself being on your phone between, I don't know, seven at night until you go to bed. Mm. Or you're not allowed to look at it until you wake up and um, have your drink of water and have yeah. your breakfast and look at it after that. Yeah. Or whether it means just, you know, getting back out to nature or jumping in the ocean, you know, just things like this that ha- are going to be so critical to our health as the technological age ramps up even more and more and more. Yeah. You know, it's not to say that the technological age is a bad thing. It's just to say, how are you balancing yourself enough in these times? Yeah because it's so important for our health. More and more people are getting the shit that I had when I was 16, 17. Yeah. And I constantly have to check in on um, my energy and whether I'm spending too much or not Um, because, you know, I can get hyped up and I can love life too, but if I spend too much time doing workout things, then, you know, I too fall in a hole.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... It's mm. so interesting, the, um, the, the, tech- the technological age really hasn't been around for that long. Mm. And I think that the worst of it has come from the iPhone since the iPhone was invented. I don't think technology in quote unquote, was that bad. Like I might sit mm. down and watch two hours of TV a day. Mm. as a kid, that would be from like, you know 6:30 when the news come on and you've, you you know, sat down and Mum was making dinner you sit down and then maybe eight thirty was bedtime that mm. was technology really yeah and it's like for those hours it's not going to be a crazy impact on your life there's 22 other hours a day where you're not being distracted like you said mm. but like dude my my fucking screen time on my phone is like six hours mm. you know it's yeah. hectic yeah and i'm i'm not a scrolling person like, mm. I don't sit and look at Instagram that much. Mm. But it's all the, for me, it's like all the posting and replying to comments and DMs mm. and like trying to run the business side of what what we do. Mm. And then I'm on a computer when I'm not on my phone. And it's like, I just think that it hasn't been that long mm. since it's happened, but there's already such a heavy pushback. Yeah. Like we just went all in on the phones and the computers and mm. the emails and the now with Netflix and YouTube, and it's like a really short concentrated time but already a pretty big pushback
1: yeah no yeah you're exactly right and we're adaptive beings too Um, but yeah uh, it also takes time to be adaptive you know so you know if if this is happening really really quickly then um, yeah to be adaptive this quick yeah it can be quite is difficult for us yeah um, so, yeah, there is a balance within it all. I really feel, um, and yeah, just becoming um, becoming good planners in a way too. Yeah, you know, I can. I totally agree with you know, getting back to people and constantly. There is a lot of different forms of getting back to people too. You know, mm. you are getting back to someone on Instagram, on email. On Facebook, on text, calls—you know, all different things. Um, so one of the things I'm practicing is trying to consolidate that, and you know, maybe send if I've had something from Instagram, it's like, hey, hit me on the email. Mm. From um, yeah, from Facebook, it's like, hey, here's my email. Get back to that, mm. um, and try and bring conversation into one streamline type of type of place. So that in, in my mind, it's, um, it's not scattered, um, which it, it sometimes feels like.
0: Well, like a good analogy for it is when you hit this little half swipe up on your phone and you can see all of your apps. It's like mm. if there's all of those apps are open, that's sort of in your mind. Like, you know, I need to check WhatsApp. I need to check Snapchat. I need to check Instagram. I need to, So like all those tabs essentially mm. are open in your mind because I always try and think about my brain as a computer that has a limited amount of RAM. It has a CPU limit. It has a processing limit. I really always try and revert back to my brain. And I even... Well, even more so like an iPhone, I guess, because you've got a battery life on that iPhone. And it's like the more apps are open, the quicker your battery will drain. So I like to think about my brain literally in terms... It's kind yeah. of ironic because it's like you're trying to move away from that. Yeah. But I think it's like the stuff that you do to make your phone last longer yeah. and work better would be the same that you do for your brain. Close all yeah. the apps, turn the brightness down, stop the notifications. Like whatever yeah. you do on your phone to make that battery last longer yeah. works for your brain too in in my head.
1: Yeah, and mate, I'm all about that analogy. Um, I'll share kind of a, a little bit of my philosophy of how I – think that I work with people Mm. um, because I like what you just said there and you know when I'm working with uh, physical body and and a mind as well I like to um, map out or help map out what's going on within somebody's body so I'll do a three or four hour assessment as the first thing um, that happens yep and it's basically thinking about the body uh, and each individual is having their own software. Mm. And each individual has their own software and each individual has their own kind of blueprint as well. And the blueprint would be represented as that individual's potential. Mm. And my job is to dive into the software and check out and search for where the glitches are. are the, where are the glitches physically? Where are the glitches mentally? And how are those glitches preventing you from being at your potential? And if I can help to map out uh, what we need to do physically, whether we need to mobilize certain things, stretch very specifically, or, or create stability or strength in a certain area that helps to resolve that glitch in the software, then that's what we've got to do or whether there's certain beliefs that lie within the subconscious, within the mind, that are limiting or sabotaging the person's potential, then let's take a dive on where those glitches are too and let's work and create a plan on how to resolve and bring that person back into their highest potential, basically. So a similar analogy yeah. of, of working with our bodies as, as software or as um technology
0: what you the way that you talk and the, the way that i see you training people because i follow your instagram i'm always looking at your stuff and it's like uh, it it seems like the way that you teach and coach is uncommon so it's like it's interesting to me that you go to school to get a certificate or whatever and it's like you get given these base set of skill sets that every other trainer leaves with but then yeah. to become a person like you that will you know you're training like mick fanning and harley and these elite guys like you've got some swimmers that you work with that are like olympic dudes and it's so to get to that level how much more research to then you have to do like it almost people come to you for what you've done outside of training once you've kind of left school or whatever and mm-hmm. it just seems so interesting that you know like the deeper you dive and the the harder you go with like trying to build up yourself and your own knowledge, mm. that is what cre- then credentials you because it's like it, there's a base level credentials that anyone could get. But to be at your level, it's so much more investment from yourself.
1: Yeah, I th- that's. I can only teach someone to be like me. Yeah. It's all I can do. So the level that I work on myself or go inward within me Is only or is to the degree that I can take somebody I can only take somebody as far as I have taken myself yeah so if I want to be the best version of me as a coach then I ought to take a deep fucking dive in myself yeah and, and analyze and be the technician on myself mentally and physically um so yeah that's how i that's the belief that i hold yeah um which drives me to um not be perfect but to work on my potential Mm. and and then therefore that has that ripple effect into who i work with so
0: yeah it's so it's so interesting because you can you can see so many trainers and it's like They'll do it's the same sort of reps or the same activities, the same like you sort of see it everywhere and then you see a guy like you and I think I was wondering too maybe with to go back to the Harley stuff it's mm-hmm. like did he fall in love with training obviously with the style but it seemed like you just weren't thrashing him at the start. It just no. seems like these movements where you're like, oh that I could see that doing something but it's like <laughs> he's a world champion wakeboard guy. it's like shouldn't you be working? harder than that so is it like this sort of slow build and these like different mobility and strengthening exercises that don't look very hard Mm. but it seems to have been something that like really let him fall in love with training because I think that the average person will go to training get fucking like slammed and then struggle to recover for their next session Mm. and then it just becomes this like beat down and it's hard to love something that is constantly beating you down so it seems like your philosophy and the style that you train even though it doesn't look like it's crazy effective it sort of looks counterintuitive
1: yeah yeah no yeah and you're exactly right and uh, a very common comment that i that i get is fuck that's way harder than it looks <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah to to break down the the journey for harley is that and with anyone with an injury or anyone that is feeling limited with their physical body, uh, that assessment that I mentioned is me looking for where the imbalances lie within the body, um, what's going on from a postural perspective, uh, because posture is a is a thing to go constantly go back to if somebody say limited in their rotation um you know if someone's got a huge kyphosis or um is that shoulders forward. that shoulders yeah. forward and a big round back then you know their rotation is very limited but if you work on all of the, the muscles and the mobility that pulls that person into being more open and then you test their rotation yeah. again it's far greater yeah uh, that's just one little example of of
0: how posture, and that happens all through the body, right? All through the body. It's kind of it's very rarely like if you've got a sore hip, it's a hip problem.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I, I think of the body globally. I think of it as, um, you know, something up here affects what happens down there. Uh, an example of of how maybe the neck has a hierarchy over the hips mm. is that if somebody's first. Uh, vertebrae is out and they have like a, a slight subluxation, whether it's tilt or, or being pulled across then the hips have to sit underneath the head mm. so the hips will migrate to the left as well um, now what does that do to the spine in between well it creates different curvatures Yeah. so you can maybe and that imbalance that now lies in the hips you can do all the hip shit you like you can mm. stretch that thing mobe that thing try and create stability around the hips. But if you've got this first vertebrae subluxation, then you need to go to that mm. and you need to address that and pull that head back into being in neutral again so the hips follow and then you watch what happens to the lower back pain or the mm. hip issues. So it's it's a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. And I'm constantly, you know... It's like a whack-a-mole
0: sort of situation, oh, right? 100%. Yeah.
1: And, you know... I'm never going to stop learning about the body. I don't fucking know it all, yeah. but I'm so interested in the the jigsaw puzzle of it and um, how things how things work and coincide with each other.
0: It hasn't been until I started jiu-jitsu that I got as into my body as I have because that's literally your protection. Like yeah. to get to stop getting the shit beat out of you, you just need your body to work. Yeah. And it's like you know, as you'd know, being that you've started, it's like putting your leg into a certain position that requires a lot of mobility is the difference between getting past yep. and then being pinned on your back in a super uncomfortable position mm. where you're not in control. And it's like the the win or loss of that particular scenario depends entirely on the mobility of your mm. like femurs rotation in your pelvis. Yeah. So, like to me, and I've noticed through my own now i do a lot of stretching i try and do a lot of mobility work i know my head's definitely got a tilt to it i know that i've got you know some problems with my shoulders but i can feel that i think that because of the amount of times i've broken my collarbones Mm. that there's like it's actually pinches in here when i do try and stretch so it's like i've noticed so much now because i've sort of putting my body through these extreme tests it just becomes so evident all of the stuff that's wrong yeah
1: Yeah, yeah, and you can get really, you can get super detailed and there's a time and place for that if you are resolving, um, say, pain or there's specific things that are limiting you, you know, as the hip uh, mobility example. Um, But, yeah, it's also a balance of not getting too caught up in being perfect as well uh, because, again, that's never going to happen. (laughs) <laughs> you're not gonna. You're not gonna have someone who's the the straightest human ever because yep. one we've got a big liver that sits on the right that um, influences our balance and our weight distribution, um, and we've got lots of asymmetries within the body. You know, um, you kick a ball as a kid, even with you, balance, yeah. You, you become right footed, then that plays on it too. But um, so it's finding the balance in that side of it
0: as well Um, yeah so with um, with Harley's knee then so is there like a specific protocol that you've developed to deal with injuries and you know sort of if that's the injury that that there's certain specific things that you're going to try and do to sort of get him on the road because you're doing the same thing with Mick Fanning with his ACL right? yeah
1: yeah there is there is specifics Uh, as a generalisation um, first you must uh, mobilise before you can stretch because if a joint is um, immobile, mm-hmm. then stretching's not going to do anything. So first you must mobilise and then you must stretch and, and lengthen what needs to be lengthened, what's short and tight in the body. That could be influencing the... Um, the increased pressure on Harley's ACL mm. uh, because in this example uh, we found that he had a lot more uh, medial rotation or internal rotation through mm. his through his hip, so that had an influence on where his body or knee would go during landing and impact, and if repetition after repetition and repetition of medially rotating and dropping in, that has an effect on the joint and. A move could be the straw on the camel's back mm. and boom, pop. So with with finding these things out, um, I've got to search for where the immobility lies and then I have to lengthen the specific things that might be increasing his internal rotation. And then after you've lengthened, then you move towards stability. So every joint... Uh, has, you know, its optimal position. And from a scientific perspective, that's called joint centration. So joints need to be um, centrated. So now we need to create stability around the joint and all the detailed intricate parts of the body need to um, work to, to stabilize that joint specifically. And now you're having to start to work with the brain body connection because just say my shoulder sits forward like this my brain thinks that that's what central is mm. but now we have to retrain the pathway from brain to shoulder to what new or the proper centrated yeah, position actual zero is. is yeah so that's where as you described these exercises that look intricate and detailed but you know don't look overly hard well, those exercises become a lot friggin harder when somebody's specific joint isn't used to being, being in that position. There. So people you know find it difficult to to stay in that position. Uh, if we use this shoulder analogy, um, you know that's where the shoulder is strongest for them at the time, but it's not necessarily in its central position, which means that, there's shortness and tightness in one area and you're and you're long and weak mm. in its opposite or antagonist. Yeah, yeah. And it's when you're long and weak and short and tight in different areas that you you're moving the joint in um you know positions that put it
0: under more stress. Yeah, you have like less mobility in that position.
1: Yeah, yeah, it can be that uh, or it some some impact might just like you know dislocated or ruptured or or, or
0: whatever so how long like if you just get an average person that comes in off the street and then they do have like the rounded shoulders or tight shoulders head forward because there is sort of like a classic postural um i guess like disease i guess it would be like maybe the easiest way to say it you've Mm -hmm. got like head forward rounded shoulders the spines curved and then, you know, your hips are, you've got like a weird tilt going on your hips. Like mm. how long would it take for a person that is, in the average case, that's committed to training um, those type of deficiencies? Mm. How long does it take to transform into good posture?
1: Yeah, it's, there's so, uh, there's it a lot of- It would be very case by case. Yeah, ver- yeah, a lot of variables. Um, you know, my, my minimum of coming to see me is, three months but the average is nine to 12 months um, that I work with someone. Um, so yeah, you're looking within those those sorts of, of ranges. Um, in highly or mixed case you're going from a total rupture in the knee back into needing to be very sport specific mm. and heavy landing and things that you know um, are really putting a lot of pressure back on that joint. So that time frame is very variable, but yeah, you know, as a generalization, six, nine, nine sort of months, mm. if you're really dialing it in. Yeah. Because the journey of it too, you know, you be very phase one, which is the joint centration yeah. part that I was talking about. But now that person needs to transition back into their sport. So, exercise that the the individual needs to progress with their exercises so that the exercises start to become a lot more specific to what you need to be doing back out on the playing field so you know towards the the end of it before harley started wakeboarding i needed to get him doing wakeboarding exercises to test out what level we're at with that knee how to do to what degree can you land on that thing And eccentrically load a lot of that knee and we had to figure that out before he was allowed to go all right now you can get out there again so the journey is from being very detailed and specific through to being sport specific and might not be sport specific it might also be uh, work specific i work with quite a a few dudes who live in the mines Mm. and they do a lot of lifting and rotating and and you know bending and and twisting and things like that so for me i get to map out what that individual needs to work back towards so we need to do specific bending twisting rotating and lunging type movements that are going to get that person back into work a lot more functional than what created their pain or their issue
0: yeah is it almost pointless to go in the gym and do like your traditional lifting style of exercises if your joints aren't centrated and if you don't have everything in alignment and good sort of good posture and and then go from there, if that makes sense?
1: No, I... No, see, I don't... Um, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say so. I would... I would uh, suggest people continuously check in on things like their posture and their form with exercises um i would say that would be the case if you're battling with an injury and maybe feeling like you're beating your head against the wall Mm. and continuing to try and lift heavy or, or do you know some some bigger complex movements if if you're finding yourself in that position then, yeah, maybe you need to take a few backward steps and Mm. work on stabilizing and and checking in on what's happening with the body and build yourself back up Mm. to to those things again. Um, But if, again, like because there is no perfect posture, uh, everyone has their individuality with their bodies too. So somebody's round round shoulders might... um, might work for them with uh, you know the specifics mm. that they are wanting to achieve um so yeah again a lot of variables very case with that. by case mm.
0: with the um so my general uh routine that i would do is every night i try i've got a lacrosse ball i've got some little sort of um jigsaw mats so that because we've just got timber floors yeah and then i'll get as but this my right hip is like the worst one yeah and i feel like i've been trying to get my butterfly stretch yep. to the ground basically that's mm-hmm. sort of like one of my um, flexibility goals yeah but i feel like the right hip it just gets to a point and it's not stretching my groin anymore or like those muscles it's just mm. locked up in the hip yeah so then i'll get on my mass of my lacrosse ball and I'll just get all in that joint and I'll work it around and then I've got a so right, so then I get on the, mm. the so right and I'll sort of try and loosen up that right psoas muscle, which I do feel is tight, yep. and then I stretch and then it goes down and I can get way deeper into the stretch. Mm. But it feels like it's just, that's the constant thing. It's like that hip doesn't get better.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if we go back to the kind of um, periodization Progress that I was mentioning earlier is that what lies before stretching or needing to lengthen is mobility, Mm. Um, and in certain cases that may mean certain manual work from a mobility perspective on the right hip.
0: Are you a fan of the lacrosse ball and all of those kind of stretching apparatus?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, love it. Um, But if there's the issue still kind of pops up, then yeah, you're looking at. What maybe needs to be mobilized or stabilized yeah. in the system?
0: Yeah, because that's definitely, that's sort of where my head's at. Like, I've been getting a lot more into it lately, and I, and it's interesting to figure out what's good, what's bad. What, like, I, my hamstrings are quite flexible, mm-hmm. but then I can't do any side split at all, basically. Yep. So it's like they're so tight, but the hamstrings are good. And then my, uh, what's the periformis muscle yeah in your butt yeah i can go fairly deep into those stretches but i've got so much tightness in the right hip Mm -hmm. so i think in my personal journey of mobility because i've sort of had in my goal and i was going to ask you if it's retarded or not (laughs) but in 12 months to be able to do the splits yeah
1: yep
0: and i don't know if it's a possibility but that's sort of my goal because i feel like if i can get to that Mm -hmm. then a lot of other stuff will have to be mobilized if that makes sense
1: yeah definitely uh if it if it has if you feel your goal has a carryover function to your requirements and for you, Jiu-Jitsu specifically, um, is that yeah, that that has a carryover. You know, your flexibility range of motion through your hips is, you know, as you were saying, to get it's crucial. So crucial yeah. to, to frame correctly or to, you know, get get a triangle in a different position or, yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, so that can be that can be a really cool goal. If I was mapping out and getting really individualized with it, it would be you know I'd be in my mind about okay, from whilst I'm assessing you and checking in on what's uh going on with your body, is that going to is that lengthening going to maybe destabilize anywhere mm. and have any issues elsewhere, yeah and and
0: really yeah check in with that, that as well. That makes sense that that could also be an issue, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, because we can be tie ourselves in knots. Um, but that's not necessarily good for our body. And yeah. I think, you know, I want to to touch on yoga as one example is that people might come come to me and you know say that I've got this I've got this pain but you know I'm very flexible and very mobile I don't know what's going on well in yoga you might be stretching muscles that are already long and weak and if you're stretching muscles that are already long and weak you're destabilizing yourself further and further uh-huh. creating more issues for yourself yeah so you you might be good in certain poses or be able to lengthen yourself in certain ways but that might be further ingraining an issue for your body or for your stability, um, and and that can be the same when we we are stretching. We might feel like fuck, I'm amazing at this stretch. Yeah. But you know, the at the same time, it's like, well, what about its antagonist? What? what where are you more tight and need more lengthening? And maybe what you're good at stretching needs more stabilizing. It yeah. needs to be strengthened a little bit more. So, that's that's how case by case Mm. that's how individualized it it can become
0: yeah so I've been thinking that my next step with this whole um, mobility sort of goal of mine is to I think I'm going to have to go now to somebody because it's almost like I've not hit my limits I'm sure I could like push through it but I I can sort of actively feel like there's definitely some shit that's stopping some stuff moving Mm. and that to me is like joints that aren't mobile all the way yeah so it's like I think I need to diagnose those problems and then work on the what is like you said short and weak essentially Mm,
1: yeah yeah definitely it's always always good to have um you know it's very hard to look at our own bodies and know where the imbalances lie Mm. you know i um do a lot of stability and training on myself but i also you know get um one of my mates who's also does a similar thing to me to check out my body and check in on on what's where where some of that those imbalances are too um so yeah it's always good to have that outside view and opinion on what's going on um and then yeah to help somebody manually mobilize something is also something that's required
0: yeah that definitely makes sense and like i i'm a big research person like when i have a topic that i'm interested in i love to research and acquire knowledge on that but i just i think that especially when it comes to the human body, there's, you know, if you want to go into the YouTube rabbit hole and if you want to do that, there's, there's a lot of great stuff, but at the start you don't know what's good and you don't know what's bad. So you take on mm-hmm. everything when there's a lot of people out there that really don't know what they're talking about. So like in, with, when it comes to the body, mm-hmm. I just feel like to go to somebody like yourself or somebody that is a real professional at identifying those areas and then really giving you like a, a good target of where to go from there.
1: Yeah and I mentioned before when uh, I was talking about how coachable you are um, I mentioned who do you listen to and that's an important important thing you know? um, If you were to go see your doctor about your health, you'd want to ask them to take their shirt off and show me your health. How you look, what your physicality is like, what your health is like. Because if you're teaching me and telling me about health, Mm. then show me that you live and breathe it. And that's is
0: that a big problem? Do you think? (laughs) Huge. Yeah. Yeah, huge. You know, um, because that's kind of what I was saying before. Is like you are on such a extreme level of um, it's like you're on a knowledge quest constantly. And you're always learning, and you're you have such a like a calm uh, way of delivering information. You you don't speak with ego, and it's like to me that guys like you are super rare. You you know to find someone that you can tell they do the work. Mm. And it's just that doesn't seem like commonplace.
1: Yeah, I I suppose when you said knowledge quests there, maybe what I'm more on is more of a wisdom quest um i think of knowledge as for the head and wisdom for the heart and wisdom is the integration of knowledge to because there's a lot of fucking knowledge out there and you can be very knowledgeable but um you gotta uh, integrate that into you mm. and practice that Whatever yeah. it is, you know, for whenever I'm listening to podcasts, you know, I want to be um, if I'm if I'm going to to listen and, and listen to somebody I'm really interested about, then I want to observe what they're talking about and how I can integrate that into my life and turn that from knowledge into wisdom because I've, I've created an, an experience from it or of it. Uh, and I think that's something that we kind of need to do more of. Yeah. Is 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 filter and work with all of the knowledge that's out there, and and you know, one sit with what really resonates and what we love learning about. You know, what your values are, and then really practicing integrating that and practicing what that person's saying or what that person's talking about, and put it into your system um don't just know about it so that you can um talk about it with friends and, and say that you know this because knowledge is just knowledge and it's just for the head but um what more meaningful relationships are if two people are sharing more wisdom yeah uh and that's something i they're the people i love to hang around too you know is um and when I said before that knowledge is for the head, wisdom is for the heart, another way, depending on how you look at things, is that you can say that knowledge is for the ego and yeah. that wisdom's for the soul. Yeah. Um, because again, if it's just knowledge for knowledge's sake, then it's for it how It just becomes you, a shiny toy that you're showing. Yeah, it's just you're doing that for how you're perceived in the world Yeah. and how you look to other people. And yeah, there's a lot of that that uh, probably needs to be worked on I feel
0: where where do you go for that kind of uh teaching and that kind of learning and when did that sort of start I guess it was back when you were um when you got that six month period of sort of having to do that but sort of what really was the stuff that first got you like okay I need to work on this
1: yeah uh for me uh it was my mentor it was Jen and there were certain times where she'd just stop me training and would stop and would sit down and the session would turn into a chat session because she could see that we just weren't getting anywhere physically. There was no need to beat a dead horse or um, maybe she could see that I was getting frustrated not being able to do something or something like that. And that became an opening for her to open me up to understanding what I'm thinking and, and feeling. And how that is preventing holding you back my progress. So, man, we had, you know, as a as a sixteen, seventeen year old, we there was one day where, you know, and I thank her so much, she sat me down for five hours. And she just cancelled the rest of her day because there was some there was a point she needed to get across. And from that day it was like Oh, I need I I need to dive in to me and check in with me because all the things she was saying I was like if I got real with myself I was like yeah you know what I am a fucking frustrated kid yeah you know what I'm you know wanting to do this sport out of how I would look to the rest of the world yeah Yeah, you know what I'm fucking tired and it's exactly what I needed to hear I needed someone to get real with me and, um, yeah, it catapulted me into a, a journey of uh, one of the first books that I, that I read was by a, a guy called Deepak Chopra. Uh, it was called The Seven Spiritual Laws to Success. And it was kind of like seven laws that, that Deepak had, had set out. And it, you know, was... He would talk about quantum physics and quantum science. He would talk about energy and he would talk about um, the unseen. So our thoughts, our emotions, that we don't see them, right? But they manifest from being something unseen into a physical outcome, whether that's me looking tense or being angry or, or whatever. So that dive of that like... Kind of uh, energy, kind of quantum world of of was fascinating to me. So I started to see the power in the unseen and the power in my thoughts and things like that. So it just catapulted me into yeah a journey of different books. Um, you know, wanting to learn more about that. Um, you know, sourcing different mentors that were living and breathing the same things. Uh, so, yeah, that was quite a catalyst, that, that time for me. And like I said, it was the best thing that happened to me.
0: It seems like you almost need to find a person, like what you said as a mentor, that is walking the same path as, that you want to be on, but they're just quite a bit further ahead.
1: Yeah, 100%, exactly. And my, you know, I put it down to my, my mentors I put it down to what I've learnt from my mentors. I don't – when I – that day it was like this is the best investment that I can make is in myself and um, I've just chosen what I want to learn about, sourced who's the best at that mm. and teach me, teach me and show me where I'm doing it wrong and show me – where I can grow and improve Mm -hmm. and make progress in in that specific thing. And uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, the way I think about it.
0: I think that the one thing with me, because I've always been invested in, I think it's interesting what you said about knowledge is for the ego. I think that there has been times where I was trying to acquire knowledge, but I wasn't truly living it in the way that you're talking about. Like, I actually can relate to that. And then the connection back to the ego has been something that I've been well and truly obsessed with lately, probably to a fault at times, is the the ego. And I think that the podcast forced me to do that because my I've said it on here a million times, like my biggest fear is people going, he's doing this because he wants to be, you know, blah, 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 blah all of the egotistical things that could attach... Be attached to that yep. thing but i think that really it's i love like to get here and to sit and listen to you with no distractions and nothing around and you can be uh exposed to so many ideas to me it's so selfish for me you know this process but the ego side of it i was like okay what are the things that i can do to really actively make sure that I am not speaking with ego, which I do all the fucking time. Like, you know, I'm not perfect at all. But it's like, I really am on this active mission now to understand the ego and to try as hard as I can to not live through that vessel. Because Mm -hmm. I think that can take over people's lives. And I think more people live live through their ego, talk through their ego, argue through their ego. I'm one of the, I argue through my ego a lot. I'll just want to win that particular fight Mm. as opposed to, be a balanced, you know, person in in that sense. But it's like that to me and the concept of it has just become so important.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's a yeah, very, very important and um no cool cool share because uh we we need an ego too. You Mm. know, if we're talking ego and soul, they're two sides to the same coin. Yep. We have to um, the way I think about it is that the ego needs to be a slave to your soul. Yeah. Every Everyone is an individual and has a soul's desire and drive and I feel like it's kind of our mission to be able to align our ego to that. It's kind of like the, the two should so click in. the soul in.
0: should drive the ego.
1: The, the, soul, the, the soul should be the... Um, yeah
0: that the driving driving force it's like the ego's your ferrari but the soul's the one that should drive the ferrari
1: yes exactly not
0: the ferrari driving the ferrari
1: no exactly exactly because if you do that now you're on you're on track you're on to your purpose your, your soul's desire your goals your mission and it's been scientifically proven that people who are on their goals mission their their desire from a deeper level are people who live more happy and content. Mm. So, if you create that alignment between the two, then you're a, you're a driving force in this world. And um, yeah, it's 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 super important because it also brings us so much more ease to to what we're doing. Uh, my my mentor Joe. Um, She uh, has this this concept, and it's, it's beautiful. I check in with it all the time. You know you're in your ego if you are searching for acceptance, acknowledgement, appreciation, and approval outside of you. And to the degree that we are searching for that outside of ourselves is to the degree that we don't give that to ourselves. Yeah. So... We don't give, we don't appreciate ourselves, or acknowledge ourselves, or approve, or um, yeah, whatever the fourth one was that that I've forgot. Uh, but yeah, to to that degree that we don't give it to ourselves is to the degree that we'll search for it outside of ourselves. Yeah, that's the ego. And um, if if that's the case, then you know we're gonna have a hard time.
0: I think the thing that i struggle with though is like to appreciate myself and to approve of myself and that to me feels like ego that's sort of the catch-22 that mm. i get stuck in like i had a conversation with um luke Cadell who he come on the podcast on sunday and we were talking and we were just having lunch and he's like dude you like you are down like you're struggling to admit to yourself that you're doing certain things well and right mm. and i think that it's like there, there's a balance between being like genuinely, like I feel hesitant to genuinely approve of myself at times because I still feel so far away from where I think I need to be.
1: Yeah, because you've been conditioned to think that way and you've been conditioned to think that uh, I can only be, as we all are, we're all kind of conditioned that way, that we are conditioned to, that I can only accept myself when I reach a certain level. Mm-hmm but that's the world's biggest illusion. It's the biggest distortion there is, is that we're not perfect until, mm. um, because the deeper that sits within us, the more we're just searching outside of ourselves for ourselves mm. again. Uh, so it's because it's so deep and ingrained, it's, um, it takes, <laughs> yeah, it takes a, time and a lot of uh, awareness and you know I'm, and i'm not that's not me saying that fucking i've got that because mm. i'm constantly checking in with the same thing i think
0: that everybody always is though right because yeah. i think you know it is there's a yin and yang to to everything and mm. i think that as you know the further you go in one direction i feel like the further whatever it is that you're trying to get away from it's like the stronger pull that it has you just now have more control over it if that makes sense because you think in terms of like a, a jiu-jitsu analogy would be like a black belt. Mm-hmm. It's like the better he gets, the further away everyone else is, but that gives him the power to just destroy everybody else. So it's like, you know, the, the further you get towards the way you want to be, the mm-hmm. more in check you have to keep and that's the stronger the pull to do what you're trying to get away from.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, there's a, a cool one thing that I like to, to work with, one with myself and kind of introduce into clients is um, uh, archetypes. So an archetype is, it's kind of like the roles that we play. Um, and it's one word that describes a lot of traits for somebody. So if you were to say, that guy over there has the athlete archetype, well, then in your mind, you run through all of the things that he probably does. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he probably trains hard, um, has to eat a certain way, sleep a certain amount. He's talented. He's talented, you know, physically looks after his body, blah, 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 blah. Um, You know, there can be the mother archetype. There's archetypes for everything. If you think of the mother, it's like, oh, she's probably up at night. She's probably packing lunches, breastfeeding, you know, whatever. It rattles off a lot in your mind. Um, Well, there's, with all sorts of different archetypes, um, there's also ones that help us become more aware of ourselves. And there's a perfectionist Mm -hmm. archetype. Um, But when we are the perfectionist or we're living and that archetype is online for us, which it is for a lot of us, um, the perfectionist is just trying to manage shame. Mm. It's constantly just trying to manage where and when it feels sh- shamed. And yeah, we are, we're all born into that. We're kind of born into this, this realm of, mm. of, of feeling that way. Um, so I feel that it's cool to check in on those perfectionist parts of ourselves and see if you know what am i trying to manage when i'm trying to be perfect uh because if i'm just trying to manage shame then i'm trying to manage how i'm perceived in this world perception
0: which goes back to the ego yeah 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 Yeah. Uh, it's interesting i had a conversation with a friend the other day and um it was about people that have abilities and talent and are intelligent and because i think potential's may be one of the most crushing things that anybody can be blessed with the more potential that you have then the more potential for failure which would then induce that shame thing and i think that's so much because um, i know in my life personally i'm met with a lot of internal resistance and there's it's a weird relationship because on one hand i can be so productive and i can be so hardworking and i can commit to doing so much but then i'm met with just insane amounts of resistance that are in it's internal and there's some days i literally just you can't get off the couch Mm. and you you cannot do anything and it's such a that's such a weird juxtaposition i think to be like you almost feel crippled by your potential which then i guess is what you're sort of saying is like that perfectionism kicks in it's because if people know like like how many people have you go like man he's the most talented dude if you just work hard and if you just Mm. i don't think a lot of that is laziness i think that is more the fear of like an extreme fear fear of failure because Mm. the potential to be great is so high
1: yeah mate on the money because the the thing that we're fearful of most is our potential the fearful the thing we're fearful of most is um yeah our light, basically. And, uh, yeah, it's back to the conditioning thing. And
0: Yeah, because we really are conditioned to, um, like, really be mindful of what people think of us. Mm. And because, really, that's how society functions. Society functions because we can all be together and think kind of highly of each other. Mm. And that's what sort of pushes society forward right yeah 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 pushes pushes us forward but um but then it's also what cripples us because the expectation is so high to perform
1: yeah because and and how it cripples is that individuals when the ego kicks in want to be perceived as being better mm. than than others um and it comes into this balance again is it better for the ego and how you're perceived or is it better because you pushing your potential Mm. and pushing the potential of what people can do Mm. and depending on which intention you have determines uh how how healthy it is Mm. Um,
0: so how would you then go about trying to reconcile those issues and stop looking for the outside approval and just doing doing the thing for yourself wanting to win a competition for yourself wanting to Put out a podcast for yourself wanting to get in shape for yourself how mm. what are the steps that you think you would need to take to start and are there concepts that you think uh might help
1: yeah i think first it's um n- n- it's doing it for yourself but at the same time it is having it's kind of a service to other people mm. as well um, in, in a sporting performance perspective is that if you're wanting to be the best in your sport, you're doing that for yourself, your experiences and experience what comes with that. Mm. But you're also doing it to help people see the potential of where the body and the mind can go. Mm. And that's important because that keeps us growing. That keeps us moving forward. You know, the two-hour, uh, somebody um, just broke the two-hour marathon, marathon court, record. Right. And, you know, fuck, that's just showing our potential. Yeah. And if he did that, uh, you know, you look at the, the energy of that dude and he's like, you know, he's he's not ego. He's like, you know, there's parts of him that had the drive to do what he did because it's showing what we can do mm. and the potential that we have. Um but if he was just purely ego driven, then um maybe he wouldn't have made that two hour record. Yeah. Who knows?
0: I think the thing with being very ego driven is that you're biting your nose to spite your face in a way because if it's only ego driven it's only for people's approval mm. then a lot of times that approval just doesn't come mm. and then you're met with challenges and then when you're met with challenges then and like setbacks then that is stuff that is perceived like negatively i guess you'd say so if you're only doing it for other people's perceptions i think they're the kind of people That struggle to push through the hard times, and when they are met with challenges, and I think that's why anybody in the middle of something, I think that money is a good example. The poorest of the poor Mm. are always very humble, Mm. relatively happy because they've got nothing. They've they've got no nothing to show, Mm. and then their ego's got nothing that's being sort of uh, serviced. And then you've got the people at the top end of the spectrum the Warren Buffetts, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates giving away billions of dollars, very philanthropy focused mm. and you see that there is no ego there mm. because it's to me and the, the very wealthy people that I've had interactions with, they're just kind of over it. They realise mm. that any of the material stuff, any of the accolades, any of the money in the bank, it, it's all sort of the same once yeah. you hit a certain point and then they find that they're met with the same problems as if you didn't have any money and then it's sort of that's where they get a little bit detached but it's the people in the middle Mm. the dude that leases a Porsche Mm. or you know the the guy that's on the world tour but he's not one of the top guys and he's constantly got something to prove I feel like it's always the, the people at the very top and I think it's because you don't get to the very top with your ego as the driving force
1: yeah yep No, exactly. And it becomes about an identity thing and being attached to an identity. Yeah. You know, if I I have an attachment to being Taylor the coach, then everything needs to revolve around me being that. So if I was to say fall sick or get injured and not be able to work Mm. and I lose my identity and that puts me in a lot of pain and hurt, well, that's only to the degree that of my attachment to the identity of being a coach Mm. the same as being a surfer or you know a wakeboarder is that you know if you have such an attachment to that identity then it's it's very difficult to um have the the deeper right intentions Mm. behind what you're doing um and that's why athletes have a hard time when they are injured yeah. or, or when they retire or when they retire you know we see that a lot is that they retire who are they now yeah they don't realize that they're still themselves on that deeper level yeah. that they always have been and that they have never been the who that they've never been their identity yeah it's only our minds that create that yeah so when we don't have our identity anymore then that yeah creates a lot of pain and and people struggle yeah so just like for you is like who is um who is jace when he's not um doing podcasts or doing jujitsu yeah it's a cool question to ask ourselves
0: and it's almost almost like we do get more of a choice in that than we think right because the there you know like the perception versus reality meme like that's a pretty cool like the reason that's so successful is because it's fucking bang on the money. Yeah. You know, like how I think I'm a training versus how I am a training or whatever it is. It's like we are so influenced by what we th- perceive other people to perceive of us. Yeah. And it's a weird exchange of we're not really getting first-hand information. Mm. It's like our consciousness is trying to perceive how other people perceive it's yeah. a that's not a very good solid like if that was anything in science they'd be like well it we're trying to figure out how if it looks like how i think it looks from them you'd be like yeah. that doesn't really make sense yeah so it's almost like you're better off to just only invest in cultivating your own true identity 100%. with yourself from the inside out because we have so little control over outside in or in to out out to in fuck yeah essentially
1: yeah mate 100% I love that
0: I feel like that's just a little light bulb moment for me <laughs> sick <laughs>
1: well uh, I don't know if you've heard a dude called Dr. Joe Despunza. no he's really ahead of the game with neuroscience and um, and neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity is the concept or the now scientifically proven concept that our brain is adaptable and we can rewire parts of our brain if you were to think that you have a certain thought well in your brain there's neural pathways and synaptic wiring that solidify that thought really strong yeah. and if you think that thought constantly and constantly and constantly then the stronger that neural pathway gets mm. and if it's a certain thought that isn't necessarily serving you well, uh, we have the ability to rewire our yeah. brain and just like you work a muscle in the gym and it gets stronger and stronger, we can do that with our brains. And this is what Joe Dispenza is talking about. We have the ability to say, work on not strengthening the negative thought yeah. and allowing that to atrophy yeah. and then rewiring and strengthening more of what we do want. And that's what neuroplasticity is. So he talks about when we're on the, on the um, concept of, of reality, he says that we start, it starts with a thought, and a thought turns into a feeling. And a feeling turns into an emotion. An emotion turns into a mood. A mood turns into a temperament, mm. a longer lasting mood. Yep. And a temperament is our personality.
0: Exactly. And
1: our personality is our personal reality. Yeah. So the reality or the lens that I look at life through is due to this kind of linear approach that I have with myself. So if I draw it back into, well, what are my thoughts? What's my internal dialogue? Because that's influencing how I feel, my emotional state, my moods, my temperament, my personality, and how I look at life.
0: And then your personality is like your vehicle That you let people interpret you as a person.
1: Exactly. And so that's when you can start to read somebody without them saying something. Mm. It's like I can see, you know, you can see the physical effects that your thoughts, feelings, and emotions have had on your being Mm. and your body. So it's powerful shit because then somebody's thoughts and feelings are going to influence somebody's posture. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, If I didn't like myself and I felt like I needed to hide away from the world, then I might form a posture that's hiding or guarding my heart. Mm-hmm. And that increases the curvature in your back. It brings your head more forward. It rolls your shoulder forward. And now you've got shoulder issues and now you've got neck issues and all these problems going on.
0: And that is the, the picture that you're presenting to the world And like you said, you can judge somebody based on how they look and, Mm. you know, they don't even have to say something. You can tell, like, you you see a lot of that with, like, really tall girls that Mm. don't play sport. If you see a really tall girl that plays netball, like, at a high level, she's very, like, proud and tall. Mm. And then you see other tall girls with, around their short friends and they're not wearing heels and they're kind of, trying to get on the level. And, like, you can instantly see, like, oh, she doesn't want to be this tall.
1: Yeah and yeah because the the tribal mentalities that we form of what the ideal girl is should look like yeah, yeah. Know, she should look at this height and this weight and mm. this this skinny and a boob should look like this and a butt should look like that and um that's a tribal mentality that we create mm. and um yeah it's it now creates beliefs. It's in instills beliefs and it instills and then that thoughts. It goes back
0: to her thoughts, yeah. And it goes back to her
1: thoughts and her linear yep. approach to her reality. Yeah. So yeah. It's if we can check in on what tribal mentalities we're kind of in yep. and influence us, then we bring more awareness to how we
0: run. The thoughts thing is crazy. Like on the weekend I there's just a little thing that someone said and it fucking lived with me all day and i had a shit day and i feel like everything around me turned to shit and then i woke up on sunday and i was fucking still shitty and it was so it was very eye-opening in a way because it was like i knew this was going on and i just didn't have the control that i wished i had over just this one tiny thing that was said and i just stewed on it all day and they're the times where you say like you've got to check in that's a that was a real reality check for me of like I just let this thing fester and I mm. knew it was happening and I watched it happen and it still swept me away and all of the emotions and then the way that I was interfacing with the world and then how I perceived myself th- there was a real snowball effect and it was mm. so evident and I know the exact moment and thought and I'm I knew what was going on and I still couldn't change it
1: yeah yeah it's and crazy yeah it happens to all of us all the time right. Um and you know one of the one of the first steps in that um, that I've been taught and, and practice and, and love to share is that we have to just also acknowledge that that's how we feel. Mm. Um, because if we f- think that feeling that way is a, a bad thing, then we're also shaming ourselves for feeling that way. Mm. And now we're not acknowledging and accepting that that's just how I feel and the the acceptance part is the process leading back into being able to work on it mm. because if i just try and work on it out of trying to just fix myself i'm still working out of shame again mm. here's my perfectionist kicking in again just trying to fix me so the just acknowledging that that's you know how you felt is kind of the first thing that we have to um, and how do you go
0: about that acknowledgement phase because I think that I could sit there like I felt like I knew what was going on Mm, but I just still I don't know it's like I just couldn't let go of the thing
1: yeah I I love to take a third person view of myself Mm. it's like oh that's interesting Taylor is getting really frustrated about this I wonder where that's coming from Mm. I wonder why that's the case that's okay but I'm just intricate interested and intrigued as to why that's the case mm. and when I take that third person view it's kind of like I'm not my anger mm. or I, I'm not my frustration and it's a nice it's a nice kind of halt yeah, on okay. it it's like it, it helps to go oh fuck wow I'm, I'm feeling this way yeah And I'm watching Taylor play that out
0: in a specific way. And and then if you're being that third person view, you could almost be like, I've seen this movie. Mm, Like, do I? And it's like a choose your own adventure thing. Like, do I want it to be that movie that had that shitty ending, Mm. or do I want it to be this movie where the hero fucking saves the day, as opposed to the dude just gets the shit kicked out of him? Yeah, because it's like that's what I knew that I was in for one of those days. Yeah, and I was just so fuck and. I was just like, I always try to be positive. I think, Mm. I guess, I don't know, maybe not everyone does. But I feel like I try to be positive and I was just, I couldn't fucking stop myself from saying negative shit and, you know, I've gotten in an argument, just stuff like that. And it's just, it is so hard to detach from, like you said, that feeling when Mm -hmm. you are in that moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is because from a scientific perspective is that when we feel that way, We start to flood our brain with the chemicals and hormones that put us in a fight-or-flight state. Mm. And we only have a short period of time...
0: To make the call. To make the call to
1: stop that or take that third-person view before the brain is flooded with those chemicals and hormones. That makes sense. And if they're flooded with those chemicals and hormones, you've just got to accept that that's how you feel for now. Maybe we need to go for a walk or put ourselves... um, and do something that we love, or just, you know, go for a, a walk on the beach or mm. go for a swim, a surf, whatever needs to be done. Um, but yeah, you've got 90 seconds before we start to flood the brain. Really? Yeah, uh, in with the, the chemicals and hormones that make us feel that way, that put us in a fight or flight state. Mm. And then from there, we have, uh, it, it takes. Roughly four to six hours for those chemicals and hormones to die off, and our body to move back the to homeostasis. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, that's
0: super interesting. Yeah, we had uh, Rob Beams on the podcast. He's a like a health and wellness dude from the states, and he works with a lot of athletes as well. Awesome. And he was the one that really started talking to me about serotonin mm. and um, and the the different stress hormones that you have in your body as well with cortisol and like Mm. to start to think about your brain as this cocktail that's just like constantly feeding yourself with um essentially like controlling your emotions and it's like if you think about when you do you like okay i'm gonna do cocaine it's like you know what is going to be released into your body if you've had it before you know how you're gonna feel Mm. but it's like if you start to think about that in terms of the shit that's already in your brain like I'm going to give myself a, a hit of serotonin mm. or I'm going to give myself a hit of cortisol. Mm. Like if you can think about like trying to even regulate these chemicals in your own brain, then it's like you sort of, maybe we have more control than what we think. It's mm. just that because we're not putting it in a line on a table and doing it that we don't think we have that level of control.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, Wim Hof is a, is a pretty cool example of being able to be in control um, with his ability to control his um, immune system and his nervous system. Um, there's studies done on Wim where he has the ability to regulate his body temperature, mm. which is a
0: nervous system thing. And an autonomous nervous system thing. Yeah, it like, w- was called the autonomous yeah.
1: nervous system. Yeah, But now he has a new chapter in a biology book that... Um, kind of wipes that wipes that floor of really? calling so it they're the,
0: like basically accepting that it mm-hmm. is now something that we can control yeah
1: chapter 22 in the biology text textbooks really? is uh is a study on wim hof um and his ability to to control these things um yeah and you know the one of the examples for the immune system is that they injected him with a dead strand of E. Mm -hmm. E. coli. Yeah. And he had the ability to flush that out without evoking the normal immune responses of throwing up, shitting on the toilet, um, fevers and so on, Mm. um, which is amazing. But the other fascinating thing was that he coached 16 other people
0: to do the same thing. thing. So, you know, he's not just a genetic freak. That's the thing that we all like to think about. And I think that you can use that same thought process in everyday life. Like I look at a guy like you and then knowing the things that you do and the routines you have in place and the the teachings that you are constantly like learning about. And it's like, I'm like, oh, he's just fucking, that's just him. He's just a genetically better person or whatever. And that's the same thing with Wim, Wim Hof. Mm. You look at him and it's like, well, it's it, it's got to just be his genetics because... I think subconsciously we all know that we have that in ourselves and then that is that resistance and it's like this is too big of a project to undertake and I feel like that at times with myself. I'm like, fuck, I just don't know that I could be the dude that gets up at four every day and does a half hour of meditating. Hmm. But it's like there's no genetic super freak shit going on there. It's just a person that has, whether it's been an instant choice and they've done it from day one or it's a gradual thing that's happened over Years. Yep. They have cultivated that for themselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I, mate, I was the angriest, frustrated, football, little kid, competitive as all shit, dude. <laughs> you know? And um, I feel like I've really turned a lot of that around just with you know these practices that we're that we're talking about, um, you know, I didn't like, you know, I was I was good at school, but you know, I didn't really like English for as one example. But whilst I've been working on myself, now I just fucking love reading, and wow. I write every single morning, and I just have this fascination with language and and how it interacts into into our life. And um, if, if you ask me that I would be doing that, you know, back then, I'd be like, no way, I hate mm. that stuff. But now I put that down to, yeah, the the inner journey and, and the working on myself to having a fascination with these things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I really feel like I'm a bit of a 180 dude um, in, in that respect.
0: That's interesting because I, you obviously, I haven't known you for that long, but you just get this persona and you get that you know the perception oh sorry perception of your persona and you're like he's always just been this super chilled super balanced sort of guy that you know people seem to just gravitate towards for that energy
1: Mm, yeah but um yeah not always the case i suppose but you're an angry cunt at one point of yeah (laughs) fucking psycho (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, i wonder too with uh with the jiu-jitsu stuff because i love confrontation mm. i love to get in be in an argument mm-hmm. i love to get into a fight i love to be in that kind of conflict state i th- find it relaxing almost mm-hmm. I, vi- verbal arguments not so much but definitely physical altercations i seem to relax yep. in that state and but yeah. i feel like you people that know me sort of know that that's my personality across the board Mm. and i don't back down from basically any situation and to a fault in a lot of scenarios yeah but then i look at i look at that and i'm like well that works for jiu-jitsu because i just love to get in there and fight people Mm. so and you're forced to do that every day yeah and then i with you it's like you're such a calm person that seems to be just balanced to the point where you're not even getting into confrontations Mm. like how does how do you feel when you are in that fight scenario with jujitsu?
1: Yeah, uh, my love for jujitsu is uh, the combination of it being a physical game of chess mm. that requires a creative side to it. It's so a,
0: it's an art at the same time. Yeah, because there's so much instinct.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you it's it's not quite chess because you need to be creative and instinctual. With what the next move is,
0: and there isn't a lot of rules. Yeah, really, especially yeah. when it comes to movement.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, for me, um, you know, putting my mind and body together and putting that to the test is a part of why I love jujitsu. Mm. Um, the confrontational aspect. You know, we live in a we live in a third dimension third dimensional place and we're always going to be in contact with people we need to have relationships and we need to know how to communicate and work with each other and um forces you to do that mm. um so yeah w- with with the, the confrontational part of it is that um yeah it's like a nice test for me mm. every day when i do it
0: what what did you think before you started of Jiu Jitsu like what did before you went to your first class what were your expectations of what it was going to feel like and what it was going to be um cause how long have you been doing it now
1: I've been doing it for seven months yeah okay yeah uh oh man I was pretty open with my expectations rolling into it uh but you know I knew there was a, a physical confrontational part to it yeah um and I knew that it required a, a tactical part to it. I knew that it required me to um, have to be calm and centered enough to learn what I had to learn. And, yeah, I was just open and excited to what it was going to be. Yeah. And, um, yeah, my first class was like
0: wow I've got a lot to learn yeah yeah you got that feeling of like
1: (laughs) I got that I got that feeling of um, this is a this is a long term journey yeah and there's definitely
0: there's definitely a feeling of like helplessness too where you're like I probably should know this yeah when you see just how bad people can like literally help like literally helpless against people and to have that feeling I think that that was one of the things for me where I was like I need to learn how to be able to do that, but more so, I need to learn how to have people not do that to yeah. me, essentially, yep. because it yep. was scary just how uh, vulnerable, yeah, and like un- completely out of your control something could be. And it's like you're not, you're not really gonna meet a dude on the street. Like, what's the what's the chances of running into a black belt in the street and then mm. getting into a confrontation where that person would do? that thing it's yeah. like it's pretty low yeah but it's so intriguing that that level of human performance is out there and you could become subject to that at some point <laughs> yeah
1: exactly it's a perfect mix of a sport isn't it because it's you got to bring that um that warrior aspect to it but you've got to have a a sense of vulnerability and no ego approach to it too mm. and you know what a what a mix that is there's not many other sports that force you to bring both of those aspects
0: yeah no i totally agree i've been thinking about it so much lately with that especially now because i'm more fitting into the middle of the spectrum mm. i think that at the start you're you don't get a choice with the ego thing yep. you you get humbled basically every day you're never you're always the nail and you're never the hammer mm. and now i have i'm in the middle of the bracket where there's essentially half of the people where i can do whatever and i can be that guy that can have that control and then exercise an ego mm. to a point where they don't have you know the ability to control what i do yeah and then i've still got that um that with today i got fucked up or <laughs> like fucked up i had to roll three black belts and a brown belt who is the best in Australia. yeah and it's like that might have been day one jujitsu for me yeah might as well have been but it's like i think it's when you do get that understanding you you sort of it's like a responsibility and then you're like this is a crazy thing because today it's just a roll and you don't know what you're gonna get it's a roll Mm -hmm. of the dice i got three black belts and a brown belt had nothing all day just got fucked up (laughs) but i could have gone there and rolled with four white belts yep and then you get to make a choice of like do you want to be an egotistical piece of shit to these dudes, mm. or do you want to have respect for them and try and develop their game? Expose yourself to weakness, your weaknesses. Yep. So then you can accelerate your game. So.
1: Well, I was just about to say which which approach would be a faster learner. Mm. You know, the latter would be for sure.
0: And that is, like you said, that's that forced introspection. You, mm. I don't get a choice. Like I. I I could not have left today's training session with any form of ego. Yeah. Not yep. Po- like I got fucked up. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. so it's, it's forced on you. There, there's no, cause you, you know, you get those people and they're like, they can get their ego stroked even when they lose. Yeah. And it's like, I just don't know that you get that ability with this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly.
0: Uh, is it something that you want to keep? like you're going to keep really trying to pursue like as a constant thing
1: yeah i think it's uh integrated into being um quite a habit for me now and um the love of of the journey of you know continuing to develop those two aspects that that we mentioned and to to keep learning and it's for me it's getting funner every time Mm. you know learning different things and applying them and um, practicing how you know my memory and, and being switched on and agile enough to jump on opportunities it's getting better uh, as I go
0: have you found that you've had an advantage with your level of like mobility and flexibility and strength like could you can you feel it really lending to the sport
1: yeah big time yeah big time um, you know at the moment I um, love playing on my back and taking that sort of um approach and yeah super mobile so i love a triangle yeah Um, and uh yeah i'm finding i'm yeah putting some uh higher belts in in situations that uh i wouldn't be able to if i wasn't as mobile or
0: yeah yeah as onto it yeah that's been my big thing with the flexibility side of things is that And especially too, because I think you come across most black belts that have reached the top level of, um, in terms of the belt system Mm. and they're all of like really good mobility, really good dexterity, really good flexibility. But I don't necessarily think they've all trained that. Mm. I just think that over years that it takes to be a black belt. Mm. They've been physically stretched and maneuvered to the point where it's just opened them up over yeah. such a long time. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, is that I think the mobility and the flexibility and the, um, the control over each limb individually lends themselves so much more to the their overall performance than just the technique that they've acquired as a black belt mm. so in my head i'm sort of trying to run an experiment on myself is to if i can have that black belt level mobility flexibility and dexterity as a blue belt mm. then what does that look like
1: yeah it opens up the potential
0: that's sort of that's where my head's at with it you know
1: yeah 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 it's like if you are on the journey of a, of a black belt then um along the way you're finding out the positions that you need to get into yeah Or the positions where you're not mobile enough and where you got caught out and how that was a physical thing yeah and it's like oh, i'm gonna fucking train that thing because yeah. i'm not getting caught like that again
0: yeah and you can see like have you watched much of the high level no gi stuff like yeah 80 cc level yeah yep. like you see guys when they take the back and it's like they've, they've got that top hook yeah and it's just this this the leg is circling and it's literally looks like they're just using their arm yep. and it's so flexible and it's yep. <laughs> so mobile and so controlled that it's like they're playing with four arms yep. and I'm playing with two yep. essentially. It's, yep. it's so crazy to watch that control. Gnarly,
1: huh? hey. And then what a connection from brain to body that yeah, is too. Yeah. Your kinesthetic awareness. Yeah, It's like you know, using Harley as an example his ability to be upside down, inside out
0: so you know? crazy.
1: That's his kinesthetic awareness yeah. and, and how refined that's got to be to land exactly where it needs to land. Well, it's like a top level, yeah, no Gi jiu-jitsu guy. He's, he could probably pick things up with his toes and, and use his feet for, for hands because yeah. he's had to tune into that that feeling and that wiring of, of how he uses his legs.
0: Yeah, so, and I've noticed, like I even watch matches now, like stuff from nationals, because i had a couple of triangle wins there and it's like the if you filmed me doing a triangle two years ago it was this slow clunky yeah i'm change. i'm using my hands and there's all this stuff going on and now it's just such a quick yeah. movement and it, it is insane to it's inspiring too like i'm let i let that stuff inspire me to keep pushing and keep again i think it's i like what you said before with the marathon runner it's more about potential Mm. like exploring that human potential and it it's exciting to get better at something and i think that that is what pushes that continual progression is like when you're genuinely excited about those little details yeah and that they're the things that can keep you coming back for more
1: there's a, um, really cool book, an audio book, um, called The Art of Learning and I'll, I'll just get up the, that down. um, the author, um, Josh Waitzkin, Josh Waitzkin, The Art of Learning and
0: he, Are you more of an audio book guy?
1: Uh, I'm a bit of both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'll have, uh, some audios on the run and then some, yeah, okay. uh, and some books to to lock into.
0: And what do you read it? What what do you listen to them through? Like Audible or? Yeah, that
1: one that one's through Audible. Okay. And um, he was a professional chess player, and what he had come to realize that he wasn't necessarily good at um, specific things, but what he was amazing at was learning. Mm. And then he became um, profound in his practice of Tai Chi and there's a tai chi martial arts practice called touch hands and he became uh, american champion at that as well but it was all to do with how he processed learning mm. and how he took that on and it's a really cool book for the Jitsu people out there um to be able to understand the intricates of learning uh, at, an, at another level
0: yeah that's cool i'm gonna get that book I don't, I've struggled with the audio books. I can listen to podcasts, mm. but I find that I struggle a little bit with the audiobook stuff, but maybe I just need to do it while walking or, you know, something where I don't have other shit yeah. kind of going on, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's that. And also, yeah, if, if there's one that I really need to know and get to know, I'll get the book. Yeah, Because yeah. you can sit and highlight, rewrite, things yep. like that. Yep. You know, it's a bit hard to start and stop and listen and write you know when it comes to the audiobooks
0: how much are you reading these days like, and like where do you try and fit reading into your schedule
1: um
0: because you're busy you got a kid
1: yeah yeah so um yeah i'm constantly constantly reading uh and that's a a um more of a late afternoon um nighttime type of thing um meditation is a practice for me in the morning and writing yeah um so yeah the the readings more of that afternoon
0: thing um so yeah um with the the meditation and the, the writing stuff as well so what are you trying to achieve with your writing because i've been experimenting with a little bit more of just general journaling like i mm. don't really have a structure to it yet Um, I missed some days I've got a red book that I keep on my desk and that's like the front of it is my to-do stuff and then the back of it is my journal yeah but there's like recently I haven't wrote in it all week because it's just been under some stuff on my desk so it's not fully in my brain yet to where I'm intentionally seeking it out and doing Mm. it it's more of still a fuck that's right I need to do that Yeah. So what are you trying to get out of your writing sessions? And are you going writing and then meditation?
1: I'm going meditation, then writing. Okay. And uh, I suppose my idea of what success is, is getting to know myself, is to the level that I know myself. If I know myself a lot, then I know why I make the choices I make. I know what more of the optimal choice is for Mm -hmm. me in any given moment. So my process of meditation and writing is of that is um, my meditation is kind of just connecting in with myself a little bit more and getting to a stage where I feel like uh, there is no distraction or I'm now more in my internal environment versus still remaining in the external environment. Yeah. So that requires me to remove senses and things like that.
0: Are you listening to any music or any guided stuff? Yeah,
1: there? some guided stuff. Uh, a nice place to, to start with some guided stuff is the Dr. Joe Dispenza, yep. that guy. He, um, he has some really cool guided, whether it's visualization or whether it's a, a creative process. Uh, he's big on creating your future reality now. In yep. the present, and that's through dropping into a theta brainwave state. And then, you know, he guides you through this, but a process of um, aligning the feeling and the emotion with that future event or goal that you're looking for. Yeah. And through that process, you start to, it, it's, a, it's a little bit deeper, but uh, you start to step more into the quantum world and that's where time doesn't exist and um you just you are in your inner world and you have the ability to create uh from that present moment yeah my example uh of that is during my racing days of triathlon uh the noosa triathlon was an event coming up and Leading into it over the months, I just felt so locked into this race. Like my mind was on it and I was just, it was my focus, hyper focus. Hyper focus. And every day I was I was training and, and training hard, but I would tap into these vis, visualizations of the race whilst I was training. And there was moments where I was like running along Hedges Ave here on the Goldie And I'd just have fucking tears running down my face because I was just so in my internal world of locked into the emotion that I had, you know, crossing the line with my hands above my head. There was times where I was out riding and, you know, same thing. I just had music pumping and I was so locked into Mm. this feeling that – it was so clear to me, this visualization, and it was a daily thing. And the same thing would occur. It was me and a, a fellow athlete that I really looked up to. And we were running together with ak to K2Go, and he was next to me side by side. I could visualize the day. It was a little bit rainy, and my the, the crowd was was in this position and my family and friends were like just to the right of the of the grandstand and the commentator was right at the end and I and um in the visualization I crossed the line um the same every time mm. it was like I was just locked into this same dream but it was
0: whilst I was training. But it was one you were cultivating yourself. But it was one I was kind of bringing on myself. And you were getting hyper-detailed as well. Like to look at the commentator, to hear the voice, to see the banners. Yeah. Like it wasn't just like a scarce visualization of like, I'm just going to cross the line first. Yeah, no, it had detail. It had intricate parts to it. Did it get more detailed the more you thought about it? Yep. it did. And is that what you think is the trick?
1: And uh, yeah, the consistency the practice of of it or the you know you can think at once but is it you know ingrained into you mm. and anyway come to race day um i had the the start that i'd visualize through the middle part of the race i was in the position that i'd visualize but where i really locked into was that last part that last k mm. and i found myself with that guy next to me and it was the same day It was a little bit rainy. And the crowd was packed like I'd visualized. And then my family and friends ended up being in that position that I'd visualized them. And then I crossed the line with my hands in the position that I had also visualized. And it was this weird as fuck moment of like deja vu. Mm. And it was, yeah, it was like emotional and like holy shit i've been here before type of feeling and it wasn't until later years that i had come across this despunza guy and his uh urge to show what i had gone through in a scientific way Mm. and um yeah i found it i found it pretty fascinating and something that i love to share with with clients and athletes and take people through that visualization process.
0: Yeah. There there's definitely or there there has to be some form of like resistance at the start when if you hear that story and you're a person that is a, a long way away from achieving something like that. Someone mm. that they know they need to work out more, they just have like a gym membership and it's like one or two days a week and it's like they're struggling to really get into it. I, I think that there is a certain level of resistance to hear stories like... Like, you want to push back against a story like that. Or mm. when someone tells you about their, their amazing experiences, meditating, you want to push back against that because, mm. again, I think it's that subconscious thing of, like, it, it, you feel so far away from it. Did you have those same sort of... Uh, Resistance towards like you'd hear someone talking about meditation or visual and you just were like it's fucking hokey dude like Mm. and then at the start maybe the first 20 times you meditated you were just like what the fuck am I doing 100% you know so like because I think that that's one of the problems that not a problem but it's like you hear this you hear the end result because Mm. people are only sharing it when they get to the level that you're at with it because they really believe in it but for someone that doesn't believe in it they Mm. just pass it off as hokey shit yeah so it's like did you still have those same feelings and you know that long period of time of just going like this is fucking pointless
1: yeah definitely uh yeah it takes like a level of trust in a way too oh for sure back eh? to that who do you listen to thing yeah because is that person sharing their meditation examples and experiences out of ego yeah like look what i can do because that happens a lot
0: yeah especially in the yoga meditation like that space just it seems so fucking corrupted with like these people that are just telling you shit for like their own (laughs) purposes
1: the um the paradox of that's that spiritual realm is that they're the ones who are tripping all over their own fucking egos yeah and now now I'm I'm not putting crystals up
0: their pussies uh, and shit yeah Getting super I'm, weird <laughs> I'm not I'm <laughs> not I'm
1: not discounting like um, that realm but it's like check in with your ego on it too because someone can want to be spiritual out of their identity and ego yes look how spiritual I am
0: woke as fuck
1: yeah yeah but that's just as bad as the ego of someone who's not spiritual and and you know doing their thing mm. in a, in, a, in a low vibe way. Yeah. So you're just the same if you're coming it's to almost, it with that it, intention. Yeah,
0: it's, it's ignorance as well.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So if someone is telling that that story from a place of ego, like look what I can do, then it doesn't have the right intention and therefore you get to assess the degree that you're going to listen to that. Mm. But if, if somebody's like, you know, um, maybe saying it out of, you know, this is, like we said before, this is our potential mm. and coming at it with that uh, um, more of uh, helping kind of attitude then yeah, and that
0: stuck with me when you said that
1: maybe maybe that can morph some trust mm. and if that trust starts to to sit and morph inside of you then it becomes a a, a process of stepping into the unknown mm. and and practicing what someone is telling you
0: because everything at the end of the day like now that you're saying that everything comes down to the tru- like trust yeah. like i trust that fabio galab is a legitimate black belt Mm -hmm. that will give me the training that I need to become that level like I've I'm in I mean I've got I've got that trust but I haven't thought of it in that way Mm. I've just thought oh I'm just doing this this thing but especially and and this is one of the things where like I know I talk about the jiu-jitsu side of things a lot but that I've had been exposed to a lot of lessons about myself because I'm not the super consistent dude Mm. like I would say I'd be consistent in terms of like living for my ego, in, in a lot of ways, years ago, but it's like now, you, I've been consistent in this thing, and I've done what people have told me that know a lot more than me, and I've taken all of the beatings on board and all of the lessons on board, and now I'm hitting like I said that middle ground. Obviously, still so early in the stage, but there is more of a ground now. where It's like I've I've gone through that first bit. Yeah, you know, I've punched through that first bit of the ceiling. And now it's like you're up in this different sort of atmosphere or whatever, mm. and then you're still going, yeah. and there's still you, you still don't know a lot in this particular space. But now I can look back, and I I do go like I did put trust in this. I yeah. did listen to the lessons. Like, you know, that's one of the things that um, like Harry Bink was telling me about. his skydiving. Yeah. He was so excited about it, and he was so uh, into it because he'd had this realization of like he was frothing on I could only get better at this the more I do it yeah like I can't you can't learn this any other way yeah and I think that that is very similar with Jiu Jitsu like Mm. you have to do it you have to be fully on the the road and I think now that I've I've experienced that with Jiu Jitsu and I have pushed through that I'd say the first barrier Mm. and you know there's so many more to go but it's like now I've burst through that I'm like fuck this is everything yep everything is this journey 100%. whether it's meditation whether it's mobility whether it's breathing whether it's you yep. know yoga anything is like you have to trust commit to the process mm-hmm. and fight through the initial resistance because even people like yourself with the meditating- mm-hmm. you've pushed through that resistance from the start right yeah
1: what what you're describing is um, the four modes of consciousness So to begin with with anything, we are unconsciously unconscious. Yeah. We don't know that we don't know. Uh, And then you become consciously unconscious. Yeah. Oh fuck, I know that I don't know. And then you become consciously conscious, meaning I know that I know. And then you get to the stage where you become unconsciously conscious and it's that you don't know that you know.
0: know. Fuck that's sick. (laughs) And (laughs) it's that's so sick. And it's
1: with Everything. Yes. It's like you don't know that you don't know that move. Mm -hmm. You don't know that you don't know what meditation does. Now you know that you don't know. And so now I've got to put in the fucking work and the effort to know that I know. And now I've got to trust and put more energy and effort into it so that I get to the stage where I don't even
0: know that I know that. And that's what, that's our consciousness. That's such a fucking sick way to look at that yeah and i don't think that i could have fully understood it because i think i'm in stage two yeah basically like i'm living in stage two in so many aspects of my life Mm. and i don't think i've ever been as excited to reach whatever the top level is Mm. and i think that before it's whether it's like motocross or it's you know i was like super in a golf and it's the the top level of that is so far away Mm. that I think that you almost need to pick something in your life where the top level is attainable Mm. because I've been saying a little bit lately that how you do anything is how you do everything
1: 100%
0: and that has been another thing it's a philosophy that's come from from training Mm. essentially and it's like if you can put in the absolute like there are times I will leave there fucking cooked yeah. I got nothing left to give and you do that and there is a sense of gratification that comes with that regardless of the outcome mm-hmm. whether it was me putting beatings on people or me getting beat up yeah, there is an inherent satisfaction that comes with that and then it made me want to feel that satisfied everywhere else Yeah, and then that's what made me start thinking about like how you do anything is how you do everything so it's like we should pick something in our life that it's like we can achieve you know enlightenment in a Mm. way in that one area Mm. because then it's the follow on it like you can't not have a follow on effect yeah and again like it's still early days and it's still I feel like I'm just becoming aware of this and now there's so much more to go yeah but I don't know how many people have something in their life that there is that uh, realistic achievable excellence in Mm. something Mm. and that in working towards that the follow on effect and the filter down effect of that will make all of your life better if that makes sense
1: yeah for sure 100% (laughs) that's where I'm at (laughs) and that's fucking sick
0: it's good I love what you I love that four step four modes of consciousness four modes of consciousness yeah is there a book that you read about that or
1: um I got that from um one of my mentors Gary yeah, okay. Um there is a book called Four Modes of Consciousness. Yep. Yep. But um I hadn't read it. I just uh kind of got that information from him, yeah. My my filters on, on how to extract that.
0: The the mentors thing is interesting because I don't think a lot of people would have mentors in their life. I think mm-hmm. you're around people that you look up to, mm-hmm. but that term is something that anyone that is very successful you'll hear them use that term of like yep. one of my mentors like yeah that's something that you're obviously super into yeah
1: so into it <laughs> it's yeah. because it's um again it's
0: one of those things resistance and it, it can sound hokey though right at the start yeah yeah if I you s- look and if you want to look through that lens
1: if you want to look through that lens but if you're looking through that lens you're sabotaging yourself
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if you if you if you want to look at that and pretend like you know everything, then you're full of shit. Yeah. And if you think you know everything, you don't need a mentor. Then you definitely need a mentor. It's like, it's like if you um, one of the Eastern sayings is that everyone should meditate for half an hour every day, unless you're really really busy. If you're really busy, you should meditate for an hour every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like you know, it's there's that kind of concept in that.
0: Yeah. I feel. Uh, it's one of those things though where it's like okay cool bro where do I get a mentor?
1: yeah well what do you want to become unconsciously conscious at?
0: yeah so do you just hunt out the guy that's like unconsciously conscious at it really fucking good at it yeah
1: yeah it's like oh, so bro you want to be really good at at boxing well who's unconsciously conscious and a fucking weapon at boxing yeah go hit him up be around that dude be around that dude yeah ask him shit you know drill you know get right into his brain yeah get right into his mind and if you want to do that in business if you want to do that in property property development well who's someone better at it than you yeah to be able to do that requires you to drop your ego for I was a second say, you've
0: got to be extremely humble to then call like have you had a situation where you've literally just called somebody i guess to say like will you be my mentor? Is like kind of a it's probably not going to happen like that a lot of the times, but like what is your process of like identifying a person and then making that connection and, you know, what's your conversations look like to a person that you're like, he is unconsciously conscious of this Mm. and I would strive to be like that person?
1: Yeah, it takes a level of getting to know that person um, and seeing how they're living and breathing and what is it that I want to learn from that person that uh, really intrigues me? Mm. and if that is something that I do want to learn then um, yeah it's like one maybe they do that maybe they have a mentorship program Mm. Um, maybe they haven't but they've thought about it and Mm. maybe you are the catalyst to helping them create that you know it's yeah each to their their own with that understanding
0: yeah you're right though it is uh, it requires a definite level of humility though to then put all of your ego aside and to become like completely malleable and because the even the way that you can ask questions to somebody can be out of ego mm. you know like you've really got to be aware of like um, the a, like a genuine nature of having a conversation with somebody
1: yeah definitely and yeah it's like back to is your ego getting in your own way mm. um, yeah you've just got to check in with that on yourself only you know that
0: yeah for sure
1: and um yeah
0: um, one of the things because i don't want to do you have a time you have to get out of here by
1: um pretty soon i think
0: all uh, right one of the things i want to talk to you about and you just let me know when you've got to go too by the way, because yeah. we could be here for hours <laughs> we um, <could> be. <laughs> but the the breathing stuff that you've been into lately and the mm. workshops that you've been doing are mm. fascinating mm. and the whole cold exposure thing what got you into that and what have you seen again as a guy that tests stuff on yourself like Mm. what improvements have you made as a result of like a deep dive into that world
1: yeah i think the ice is a an amazing metaphor for triggers it's an amazing metaphor for the other triggers that lie in our life we can be triggered by uh traffic by what other people say by this by that and the ice forces us into reacting so if it forces us to react then it also has the ability to train us to be more of a responder yeah and it helps to train us to go within try and practice quietening the mind and to tune into ourselves and not be so influenced by our external environment yeah okay so that the breathing in the ice is a practice for that and um within the workshops uh it's a a lot of what we're talking about today you're really just prepping people into knowing that this workshop here is to get to know yourself is to get to know what you're thinking when you step in that ice yeah what parts of you have fear what parts of you want to get out um how you get through it, like all of those things is you getting to know yourself. Mm. And if you're doing it in the ice, which is a really big trigger, then how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm. It's going to be how you respond to a trigger outside uh, of the ice. Mm. Whether it's a confrontation or whatever, whether you're in the ice and you get frustrated and you can't handle it, well, that's probably how you're going to handle confrontation too. Mm. So it's just a beautiful yeah yeah anxiousness it's like let's turn that dial into excitement and try and tune into ourselves enough to make that shift between the anxiousness that the ice creates and the excitement that you can have for
0: creating this experience for yourself and are you now to the point where you are excited to get into that tub uh, there's, there'll always be, be days where it's
1: like, all right, how, how tuned in am I? Yeah. Because if I'm all outside of myself, then yeah, I've probably got some fear stepping into it. Yeah. But if I'm like tuned in, then I'm like, yeah, I'm excited to step in here and test myself.
0: Yeah. But it never gets easy. Cause I think that's the thing. That's like the, um, that's the lie we tell ourselves mm. is that if we do this thing enough, it'll be easy yeah but I think the people that achieve great things are the ones that have just reconciled with the fact that it's never gonna be easy
1: never gets easier just you just get better at it
0: yeah and (laughs) I think that that's uh I think that's the lie, though, that mm. people tell themselves because they'll say, do it for six months or three months, but then it's like it's not getting easier. Yeah, and yeah. it's like it's not supposed to. And, and wouldn't
1: that be like a, a halt? That would create a halt for someone new to it, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, look how easy it is for these people. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily easy. They're just better at it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And they've just practiced it and they've gone through the four modes of consciousness of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when you look at people who are doing those things um you know in sport and 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 whatever it's it's like if you want to create a big business it's not that your big business gets easier you just get better at managing it yeah. and um better at dealing with it
0: so have you got um i'll let you get out of here just because i know you're a busy dude i th- i, th- I th- for getting three hours is pretty tough <laughs> yeah. but, but um have you got any workshops coming up? Have you got anything to sort of plug or yeah. um, where people can sort of get at you?
1: Um one thing we've got coming up on the second of November, there is a it's actually a nutritional workshop yep. for performance athletes. Um oh, it doesn't just have to be for performance athletes, but it's based around how to eat right around performance times, pre, during and post. Uh, that's at an organic cooking school down in inland of Nuribar called Bavana. Uh, that's on the 2nd. And then on the 9th is one of the ice bath and breathing workshops. And that's at the active gym here in Burley. Yeah, right. So got on the 9th. On the 9th. So we've got two of those uh, different ones coming up. And um, yeah, both very individualized and different. But
0: And how do people get onto those?
1: Um, check out my website. Uh, Yep, and uh, workshops tab and all the info there
0: well I've really enjoyed you coming on this podcast and I'd love to make it a semi-regular thing as your schedule allows it because there's so much stuff that we can go into but um, so good you're a guy that I look up to a lot and I enjoy um, even though we don't talk every day I enjoy looking at what you're doing most days and uh, definitely drawing inspiration from the stuff that you've got on and the effects that you've had on people that, that I know and, and care about. So,
1: Oh, thanks, brother. No, thank you very much. And thanks for
0: having me on. I hope this you enjoyed unreal. it. I loved it. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Awesome, man. Thanks so much, eh? Hey? Dude. Unreal. Yeah,